Welcome back to his call my purpose. It has been a moment and I believe that when you talk about a topic such as wellness, you need to be prepared to take care of yourself and take care of your wellness. Um, there's nothing wrong. It's just life has been busy. Life has been chaotic. So I had to step back and then choose what to and when to do things in my scheme or schedule. But this morning I want to talk about something and it's so funny because I was about to say I'm going to talk about something that's personal or that hit me personally and I'm like that's all of my podcasts. So but this morning it it was it's a little bit it's a little bit harder or rigid this morning. Um I'm going to read to you a scripture which says Matthew 11:28 says then Jesus said come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. And it's so funny because I just finished saying, you know, wellness and taking care of yourself and um a multitude, oh, I'm using big words. No, but there are many of my podcasts that talk a reference wellness as well as scriptural um podcasts. So this morning, when I looked at that scripture or whatever I was dealing with this morning, I was like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of other people perpetuating their jabs at you, their their feelings about you, their inabilities. What I've noticed lately, more and it more so in the church I've noticed it but it happens at work or in a work type environment as well where people are either envious angry or jealous at what God is allowing to happen in your life and so whenever they get the opportunity to jab at you or to make a statement with regards to something that is connected to you they do so But what gets under my skin is when they say, or when you call them on the carpet and they say, oh, I wasn't talking about you. Okay, I'm the only one in the room. I'm the only one on the call. I'm the only one in the vicinity that deals with that subject. So how could you not be addressing or talking to me? Now, I've always said it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I am going to give you an example. Let's say you have a ministry that is moving forward, not great, not bad, but sustaining. And then someone comes around and says, oh my goodness, we're losing so many young people. Oh, the young people are not coming to church. Oh, the young people are not wanting to participate. Oh, the young people don't find value because their voice is not heard. Now, if you are the only one, let me repeat that. You are the only one dealing with ministry with the young people. How would you take that? Now, this is being said that all those comments are being said in an open form and an open conversation, not just one on one. Now. Take that same conversation and say you have a one-on-one and that person goes, hey, you know, I've noticed that 
attendance has dwelled. Do you need any help? Is there anything that I can do? Is there anything that I can support or, um, you know, get the, the word out or speak to some of them or encourage them? Um, have you ever thought of XYZ? Um, I heard a podcast or I heard a, um, a conference or an in-service or I read an article about this. Hey, check it out because it, it might help you spark the ideas and the desires. With There's a difference between manipulating or, you know, picking and actually genuinely being concerned not only for those quote-unquote young people, but for the people serving the young people. I don't believe that ministry those who lead ministry should be done solo. I believe because the person leading can get weary. The person leading can get tired. The person leading can get discouraged. So if you are leading by yourself, I would encourage you to get help, to get volunteers, to get parents, to get people that you trust, that are in line with your vision and to walk with you. But that also is hard. Because just like those people who are on the side trying to take jabs at you and trying to say things, there are people who want to continue to complain, but they don't want to do the work. They don't want to participate in what it takes to do and to have a successful, thriving, you know, ministry. Let me also point out, if I have a ministry of five and there's only one person, And people are saying, when are you going to grow this ministry? When are you going to get this ministry off the ground? When are we going to get like 20 kids in here? Remember I said, there's only you. You're the only one leading. So if you get 20 kids, how is that safe for you to lead 20 kids? Do you understand? So when people see perception and when people perpetuate their thoughts and their feelings and their whatever... If they're not willing to step in and help you accomplish the goal that they say needs to be achieved, then how how do we move forward? So if we look at, if you go back and you look at that scenario, so I got five kids, I have five kids, and there's only one leader. So if I want 20, before I get those 20, I need to get more leaders. In order to get leaders, I need to scan my church and see who's available, who's willing to help, who's willing to come and walk alongside of me to empower and encourage these young people. Crickets. Crickets. So before I get the 20, I need to get the one or maybe two. Do you understand? So people say stuff and I, when I say it's personal, I'm kind of tired. I'm kind of tired of people telling me what is needed. And it's like, I want to say, bird, duh. Like, I know what is needed. I know, duh, is staring me in the face. But unless you or those people you talk to want to come alongside of me, we're not going to move forward. You can talk all you want. You can give me all the advice you want. You can tear me down all you want. But unless you're willing to work with me, or unless you're willing to send me people who are willing to work and capable, not just willing, but capable to carry it out, then I really don't want to hear what you have to say. Sorry. And I'm tired of it. And let's flip the script. On the other hand, 
There are people that possibly may be willing, but cannot do the job. And I'm not saying that they can't capable be Do you know some people, they're out there and they're saying, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. I, I want to be a children's ministry leader. And you can't stand children and children can't stand you. So why do you want to be a children's ministry leader? Why? To show the current person up and to show them that you know what to do and they don't? Because honestly, children, young people, and I'm saying teenagers, they can tell if you truly have a heart for what you're doing. They can tell if you genuinely care for them or if you care for the title of what you're doing. Young people can tell the people in the church that are hot mess and the people that are not without their parents saying something. It's, although we tend to say they're a me generation or, you know, they, they, all they care about is them. But I kind of say, you know what? That's who they should care about. They should care about, okay, if I can't trust this person, if I believe that this person is shady, if I get a sense that this person is got some tendencies and I'm not gonna, I don't know what tendencies, but then I don't want this person around. You need to be mindful of that. You need to be respectful of that and not force people on young people just because you want to fill a space or a body. That's not okay either. Because there are some people that get up in people's face and they're like, oh, how are you doing? And how is, and they're like, okay, where you come from? Why you want to know my business? Why are you up in my face? So you have to be mindful of that. It's not go out there and shake the bushes to see who's going to come work with our young people. We need to be more selective of those people that we have in ministry with our young people. We need to stop just throwing a body into ministry just because we want to have numbers. That's not okay either. So when I said this is personal because I'm tired. I'm tired because I know that there is so much to do and I am so busy trying to do it all. And I am praying to the Lord to like say, Lord, give me your timing. Give me your direction. Give me your strength and what I'm supposed to do, when I'm supposed to do it, where I'm supposed to do it and who I'm supposed to do it with. And then you've got everybody else in your ear telling you the same thing. So they're telling you when, where, how, for whom. And it's like, no, God didn't say that yet. No, God didn't tell me that yet. No. And it makes it seem like, because if you think about it, if you're sitting at a table with 10 people and one person is constantly, constantly, every time you get together, constantly throwing jabs about young people at the table, not saying, hey, so-and-so young people, but just constantly you know, throwing it out there because you know how people love to say, I'm just throwing it out there. And they continuously never come to you. And you've gone to them personally and said, if you got issues or if you find out something about a young person, come to me, have them or encourage them to come to me. And they still don't do it. What do you think? You think I'm crazy? Or do you think it's personal? Now they'll always tell you, Oh no, it's not personal. Oh no, I'm just being general. Okay, 
if you be in general and you said a person's specific name and then you throw out young people, that's not general, sweetie. And if you are being general, how come you didn't generally pick up the phone and call the person in charge and share that information with the person? So I'm tired. You get tired of people being petty. You get tired of people being manipulative. You get tired of people just be genuinely who you are. Just be honest with what you have to say. Just be loving as because you always tell people always say, oh, we need to be loving and forgiving and understanding and have grace for each other. I got that. But what about your words? What about the things that you put out there to people? Are they encouraging? Are they affirming? And I'm not saying run around and throwing rose petals and giving people unicorns and cotton candy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can still have the hard conversations in love. You can still reprimand somebody in love. You can still help somebody get to another level in love. For real, for real love, not fake. So my question and my my pre, you know, my thing today is in your in in your weariness and in your tiredness. I encourage you to go and give it to God, to go and just throw it at the altar and leave it there. Don't carry it around. Don't walk around with that weight. Don't let that weight weigh you down. Don't try to fight that battle on your own. Don't let the enemy discourage you. Don't give up on what God has purposed in your life. You may be tired, but that's okay because you'll be tired for yet a day, a few days, and maybe even a season, but God is still there. God is still in control. He's aware of your burdens. He's aware of your tiredness. He's aware of the people that are weighing you down. And you need to turn around and go, wait, maybe God is allowing this to happen because he's building me up for something else that I have that's ahead of me that I don't see. So if I don't If I can't conquer this or if I can't endure this, then when I get to the next step, I am truly going to fall apart. I am truly going to have a lot of issues. And it's really sad. And I don't mean that like cry sad that we as in our in our limited understanding and our humanness tend to take things very personal. We tend to think when we when we when we're when we're moving and we're doing and we're serving, we tend to take it personal because we believe and I'm not saying we're not. We believe that we are doing our best. We believe we're giving our best. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not just in church. We do it at work when we have a job and we have a function that we are to provide, whether it is a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. And, and kudos to teachers right now that are teaching during this pandemic online. Kudos to you because you guys are ones who I am sure are tired and weary because it's hard enough to have kids in your classroom, have to pay for all of your supplies, make your classroom user-friendly, exciting, inviting, and welcoming and control all of your kids in class and get them to focus and now have to move that same energy and that same environment to a computer screen 
where you have no control over what's on the other side of the computer screen. You have no control over what's going on in the house. And all the techniques and all the training that you've gone through is out the door. <laughs> because that is training and stuff that you learn for when they're in front of you in person. The same thing for doctors. Doctors are now doing tele whatever, telemedicine like crazy. And it's really hard because, you know, you show them your hand and you're like my hand. And he's like, wait, you know, you have to really guess. You have to listen intently to what the person is saying in order to make a judgment or diagnosis or suggestion. Crazy, right? It's, it's, it's like, you know, dentists are deciding what they can and cannot do, what tools they can and cannot use, you know, what's considered emergency, what's considered not. Our world is just topsy-turvy and a lot of you are tired. You're tired and you're weary and you're discouraged. But I said be encouraged because God sees and he hears what's going on all around you and he is in full control. Although we think it's chaos and confusion, God is still in control. Trust and lean on him. Do not, I repeat, do not give up. Do not throw in the towel. Do not think that you are not worthy. Do not think that you're in the wrong position. You're in the right position in the right season for such a time as this. Stand on the word. Stand on everything that God has rooted in your spirit and in your knowledge and those around you and move forward. And when I say move forward, move forward may mean staying still for a minute. Move forward may mean that there's no movement at all, but you know that your faith and your understanding of who God is, is 100% more important than those words, than those people, and then that craziness that you have to deal with every day. Wake up each morning, give all the craziness at the beginning of the day, before you even set foot on a computer, before you even set foot in the church office, before you even try to do ministry, give it 100% to God. Let him lead, let him guide you, let him speak. And I promise you, it will eventually get better and he will give you, and even if you're in the chaos, he will give you that peace that no one can give you. He will give you that peace and calmness that no one will understand nobody but him so although you may be tired and although you may be weary he will give you the rest you need and that rest might be different for everybody so don't look at somebody in their season of rest and go i want that no ask him to give you the rest that you need particularly for you we are individuals he treats us as individuals not as lump sums so call out let him know where you are. Let him know what's going on and trust that he's got you. Real talk, real life. Hello and welcome back to His Call My Purpose. Today's podcast is an extension of a sermon I gave last week with a bullet point, are you done trying everything? else. And I look at our life and I look at the season in which we are and we try. We make conscious effort to do our best in most things that we do, whether it be our health, whether it be our self-care, 
whether it be our jobs, whether it be our relationships or our families, we try to do our best. But I do believe that we are a, I don't want to say society, but a generation, a that we tend, I was going to say a people that tend to seek out advice and resources from other people. And we do this quickly. We do this immediately. So if something goes not against, if something goes against the grain or against our plan or against what we believe should be truth in a season, in a situation, in a relationship in our life, we tend to ask our friends, we ask our colleagues, we ask our coworkers, we um, we seek out information on social media platforms, we search Google, we will read books, um, self-help books, but we never tend or we tend not to turn to God first. We tend to make him our last result. Like after I've tried everything else, after I reached out to everyone else, I will reach out to God. I will ask God. And when we reach out to God, our question is always, Lord, why? Lord, why did you? Why have you? Um, Why is this happening? It's always a, a questioning of him of what's going on in our life. And in the, in the season or in the situation, did we ever ask ourselves, how did I get here? What did I do in this situation? What is this? What is this teaching me? What is this not teaching me? What is this for? But we always want to ask God as if God intentionally says, well, I want to block that for them. Or I, there are some things, don't get me wrong. There are some things I believe that God removes from our life there are some things that you know we say that god closes that door so that we won't encounter or endure that which is the other side there are some things that we go through that i believe that god is saying no i'm not going to allow my daughter or my son to experience that because i don't want them to have to suffer in the result of what they're going through i do believe that but there are some things that we step into that we open the door to that we participate in And there are also things that God allows, but in those same situations, why is God the last person you go to or your last resort instead of your first? Um, In the sermon, I mentioned Genesis 15, 12 and 14, and it reads, and the sun goes, when the sun went down, Abram, he had not been named Abraham yet. Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. When you read that scripture, it says that you can be sure Verse 13 says, you can be sure. That's like saying, I promise you that this is going to happen, that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Now, 
in this text, it says your descendants. At this point in Abram's life, he has no children. So he has no descendants. So when you look at this scripture, there is no one that God is referring to alive at this point when he is telling Abram, later named Abraham, this will happen. So when things happen in your life, God knows what's going to happen in your life before you were even born. Before you and your, your mother and your father got together, God knew that this was going to happen. So listen to him. And it wasn't positive. It was negative. He said they will not, they will be strangers in a foreign land and oppressed for 400 years. Not for a day, not for a couple of minutes, not for a few seconds, 400 years. But... He will punish the nation that enslaves them. So those people that did that to Abram's descendants, God will handle it. So he said something bad, something negative, I'm going to cause, I'm going to allow to happen. But when it happens, I'm going to be the one that punishes the one that causes this oppression. And when the end comes, they will come away with great wealth. So did God know the situation? Did God know the situation even before the descendants knew it? 100%. Did God let Abram just a glimpse of what would happen to his descendants? 100%. Did he say he was aware? Did you? Because in doing so, that means he was aware of what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. And he also knew the results. So why is it that when something happens to us, we are the, we tend to put him to be the last, the one who knows the plan, the one who knows the design, the one that knows the encounter before the encounter even happens, we go to last. And my question is why? What is it that you are so afraid of in your faith, in your belief, in your walk with Christ, that you cannot believe that he will do what he said he will do for you specifically? The moment of silence is just a pause there because it's, it's a pause there to have you think about it. Like, wait, what? We tend to believe anything that Susie Johnny and Mary say, whatever comes out of their mouth, we don't research it. We don't question it. We just go up, oh, Susie, Mary and Johnny. No. So it has to be fat. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people that God will place in your life and that God will give a word to you from that person. But did you hear me? I said, God will give you a word. God will be using that person to speak into your life. God will not you. Not Susie, not Mary, not Johnny. God will use that person to speak into your life or speak over your life. Because you may be going down a path that God is like, I don't even want you to even start. I don't even want you to make that move. Because if you make that move, then you will be totally off kilter. So I'm going to try to do everything in my power, in my voice, to try to place somebody in your life that will give you, that will be your sense of wisdom so that again, redirect you back to me. Because when God uses somebody, 
this is my opinion. I believe that he doesn't say, so if God is using Mary, Mary's not going to come to you and say, girl or guy, I believe you should do da, 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 da. They'll say something like, you know what? I've been praying and God put me on your heart and I kind of feel like you shouldn't do that. Do you understand the difference? There's a difference between me saying, girl, you need to break up with that guy because he's this, this, and this, and that. And then saying, you know, I know you're really into this guy. I know you're really into him, but I don't think that you're using your wisdom from God. I think maybe you should go to God and ask God, not me, what you should be doing. When God sends somebody, they will use language that lets you know that it's not them speaking out of self, but it's speaking out of the love and the heart of God that he has for you. And that's why he's placed those people in your life. I always tell young people, get a mentor, get someone who will, will guide you, who will direct you, who will speak into you, that will not be afraid to tell you when they think you're wrong, that will not be afraid to tell you when they think that um, your choices are not the best choices, that are not afraid to tell you that you're about to walk up a cliff, even though you have the right to listen to them or not. I think that those people have a lot, a lot of value in our lives. So my question goes back to why is God the last thing that we choose? What is it about God that you are intimidated from? What is it about God that you're fearful from? Living in an instant society, living in a society that walks around with just do it. And if it feels good, do it. And um, you are your own guide. You are your own vice. You need to take care of you. You need to... It seems like we are a me-centered world. And if I live in a world and all I'm concerned about with me, then why would God place so many other people around me? Why would God place so many different people that don't look like me, that don't sound like me, if I was the only thing that mattered? Key word, only. I didn't say that Mary, Johnny, and Susie didn't matter. I said, when I operate, I should not think that I am the only thing that matters. Because if I'm the only thing that matters, then that means I would be the only one in this world. I would be the only one on this planet. We are all important. We are all of value. And we all have purpose. So when you're going through life and you're going through your day, I would want you to think, are you done trying everything else? Are you done depending on other people to fulfill what God is continuously trying to fulfill in you? It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, and Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Why would he say that if he didn't know that you would be weary? Why would he say that if he knew if he didn't know that you would get tired and weak sometimes and that the weight of the world, the weight of your life, the weight of your situation, the weight of that which you are presented with will get heavy. And he says, come to me, come to me, depend on me, trust me and I will give you rest. He didn't say Mary, Johnny and Susie would give you rest. He didn't say that self-help book would give you rest. He said, I will give you rest. But you've got to go to him. 
We go to everyone else. We trust everyone else's judgment. I'm sorry. It's like I'm beating. I hate to say beating a dead horse. That's not a good, good analogy because that's really sad. But we try everything else and we repeatedly try. And there are some people, if they're honest with each other, they try Mary, Johnny and Susie. And then they'll go to Bessie if Bessie will give them the answer they want. What I'm trying to say is Mary, Johnny and Susie may have been speaking with a faith-based God, uh, I don't want to say anointing, God um, articulated uh, view, but that didn't align with or agree with what we were trying to do. So we go to somebody else. We, we, we try those people that we think are our cheerleaders, are our support. And when they don't align with what we think we want to do, then we go to somebody else. And then we choose what we, you know, oh, well, so-and-so supports what I'm about. So-and-so supports what I'm encouraging. So I'm going to go with her because she agrees with me. But yet three other people told you no. And in that you spoke to four people, but yet you still haven't spoken to God. And then we do, there are times where we, then we speak to God and we may go to him first, but if we don't like what he says, or we don't get the answer in the time frame in which we want the answer, we still seek out other people because we like, oh, well, maybe God didn't hear me. Well, maybe God, God didn't answer me yet. Or maybe I didn't hear God's answer. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I believe and scripture tells me that my God is the creator of all things. All things, not some, all things. So anything that you could ever imagine, God was the author of that creation, okay? And he knows and sees everything. So if he knows and he sees everything, do you really think my little situation caught him by surprise? Remember, I read the scripture before Abram had descendants. God knew what was going to happen to them, that they were going to be enslaved for 400 years. He knew it before he had it. He knew it before they were born. So if God knew what was going to happen to them before they were born, what makes you think in your little day and your little situation that he didn't know that that was going to happen to you? That that wasn't going to happen around you that that wasn't going to happen in front of you, that that wasn't going to happen to your family member, that that wasn't going to... How can you sit there and say that you believe the word of God, but you only believe certain parts when it's favorable to the outcome in which you want to have? 400 years. That was not 400 years on a private island. That was not 400 years celebrating and partying. That was 400 years. Four, we don't even live that long. So it's hard for me to even conceptualize 400 years of suffering, oppression on purpose. But he said that he will take care of it. And not only would he take care of it, they would have the scripture says not only did he take care of it, they would come away with great wealth. Hello? So my, my question is, why don't we trust God's promises? 
I also believe that God is a God that cannot lie. So if he said it, it's going to come through. But you have to be obedient in your walk and in your talk and in your actions. And they have to reflect his will, not your will, his will. So when we go about things, there's a lot of things. Number one, I would encourage you to make Christ, to make God first on your emergency contact list, first on your complaint list. And when I say complaint, not complaining about, complaining to. Anything that we endure, whether it's pain, whether it's suffering, whether it's doubt, whether it's fear, whether it's direction, whether it's seeking wisdom, whether it's seeking counsel, God should be first. And then if that answer does not come in a timely manner in your eyes, then I say, you wait. You thought I was really going to say something else, right? No, no, you wait. Because our timing and God's timing is not the same. Because there are multiple reflections in the scripture that say that there are some times where God has to move you into a situation. God has to prepare you for what is about to happen. God has got to get you in line with what he needs to get you in line. And it takes time to put all the things in place that he needs to put in place in order for that prayer to be answered. So sometimes it is not just a quick, you know, blink of the eye and then things happen. Sometimes it takes time for God to set the stage to put the people in place that he needs to allow that blessing to come for you, to let that answer come to you. So we need to wait patiently. We need to wait expectantly. We need to wait in obedience. I think waiting is one of the hardest things that humankind can do because we don't want to wait. We want everything quick, fast, in a hurry. We want everything to be blink and it's there. You know, when I talked about the the lesson, I talked about, you know, even if we look at social media, um, you know, Instagram, um, Snapchat, everything's quick. Everything is is done quick and, and it's done in a short period of time where no one wants the time to listen. No one wants to take the time to sit and process. No one wants to sit and spend time at the feet of Jesus. No one wants to spend time talking to Jesus. Nope, Lord, I want it and I want it now and you need to provide it. That that's how we treat them. You know, we want an instant God. We and that's why when people use the analogy of Santa Claus is because we make a list and then we believe that God should just provide everything on our list. You know, we put the list out there, we send it to him or you know, whatever means you send it, whether it's journaling, whether it's prayer, whether it's meditation, and then boom, God God you didn't do it. God I'm still waiting. And he and I'm like, I feel like God's sitting up there going, I know, but you didn't do what I told you to do. You didn't step out on faith like I told you to do. Because if we go back to um, the scripture with the women with the issue of blood, um, and I'm trying to look for it. Uh, forgive me. Um, the scripture tags. Um, obviously, when you want to find something, you can't find it. Um, but it's the woman with the issue of blood where she endured that for 12 years, 12 years, 12 years of her life where she suffered. And it's like, 
And then I look at, we can't even suffer a day. We can't even suffer a week. We can't even suffer a month. And we are complaining and we are fussing and we, God, where are you? God, why didn't you? Oh, it's Luke chapter eight, verses 43 and 48. Read that because she suffered. So, and in my, in my sermon, I talk about the fact that she didn't just suffer because of her health. You know, she suffered financially because you think she didn't seek out help from doctors or physicians in that time. So any money she had, she spent on trying to get well or any money she could borrow, she spent on trying to get well. And then the isolation, because of the fact that she was continuously bleeding, she was ceremonial unclean. So she couldn't go to worship like she was supposed to worship. So, and then I'm pretty sure her friends didn't want anything to do with her. So she was socially isolated. So this woman was financially, socially and spiritually isolated where she, for 12 years of her life she had to live in this way but when she heard of Jesus when she heard that there was a man that had done many things for other people she was like hold up hold up i don't even have to speak to him i don't even ask to, i don't even have to be in his presence where he sees me where he looks me in the eye and he speaks healing over me all I have to do is touch the very closest thing I could get to him and I will be healed. That is some crazy faith. That is that faith that someone that has tried everything else. But when she heard of someone that should be her first, she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. Because I'm pretty sure that those people that were around him were predominantly male. And so she's not supposed to be around them. But she was like... I can't do anything else. I'm at my last wit. So she put Jesus first. So my question is, as you live out your day, as you live out your week, as you live out each year, is Jesus your first? Don't wait till you've tried everything else. Try the real one first. Real talk, real life.